please grab a seat. Morning to you all. And we're in the first passage, we're in Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn to that, it's page 1182. And we're continuing in our sermon series looking at worship, and this morning we're looking at the one we worship. Uh, So Colossians chapter 1, page 1182. We're looking at the one who's rightfully at the centre of all of our worship, the very reason that we do worship, Jesus Christ, the one who is risen, uh, the one who's exalted, the one who's reigning with the Father. And the verses, the five or six verses that Caroline read to us, verses 15 to 20, probably an ancient hymn, maybe an ancient creed, uh, widely known in the early church. Maybe even the Colossians themselves wrote it, maybe Paul did, we don't know. Uh, But it's a hymn about Jesus. And it gives that cosmic big picture of him, encompassing everything on heaven and in earth. And it shows us that heart of true worship. It shows us Jesus at the centre. It shows us that it's about Jesus and that it's for him. And interestingly, this uh, early hymn, it's not at all focused on the church's experience of Jesus, if you notice that. It doesn't uh, talk about how Jesus makes them feel. It doesn't talk about how much they love Jesus, uh, as important as those things are. It's focused on Jesus Christ himself. And if you uh, get bored during uh, the sermon, you can count. There are 14 references to Jesus and no direct references at all to the Colossians. And it's as we focus on Jesus, it's as we give him the glory, that our eyes are opened, that our hearts are warmed, and that we meet with him and are changed. And then we can begin to speak about how much we love Jesus, about how Jesus might make us feel. So what does Colossians 1, 15 to 20 tell us about Jesus? What does it say that makes him so worthy of our worship? And I want to look briefly at three things this morning. And the first is that Jesus fully reveals God to us. If you look at verse 15, it says that he's the image of the invisible God. We can't see God. God is invisible. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And verse 19 (coughs) later on says... that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. So Jesus doesn't, not only reveals God, the, the image of the invisible God, but he reveals him completely and fully. And if you've ever wondered exactly what God is like, if you've ever had someone ask you, tell me what God is like, what's he really like at the very core of his being, then the answer is found here. He is like Jesus. And in Jesus, there's no aspect at all uh, of God who is not, who's hidden from us. There's no aspect of God that's known only to God the Father, God the Son, and God <clears throat> the Spirit. We don't just get the, the public face of God, the one he's chosen to show to the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. This God here is, is a God of full self-disclosure. You get the whole of God in Jesus, not just an element of God that he chooses to share with us, but the whole of God, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And if Jesus fully reveals God to us, then it makes no sense at all, does it, to to talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as being two different gods, the vengeful, 
uh, Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, the, the one that we don't like to talk about, and then replaced in the New Testament, where we often feel more comfortable with uh, the, the friendly, forgiving, modern, if you like, loving Jesus of the New Testament. That makes no sense, does it? Because if Jesus fully reveals God, then Jesus fully reveals the Father. Jesus fully reveals Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. And the, this God, whether Old or New Testament, is the God who never, ever changes. Ever loving, always giving, overflowing with life. And so this hymn in Colossians gives us that a mind-blowing picture of how this God's fully revealed in Jesus. How he shares his love, how he shares his life with the world. And as we consider Jesus, we see right into the very heart of this God who freely loves this God who is love. The very definition of God, God is love. And Jesus shares God's love and his life. I'm going to look at, he shares it with us in creation, the first few verses, and then he shares, us, shares it with us uh, in salvation. So if we look at how Jesus shares God's love with us in creation, that's the first few verses, 15 to 17. And if you look at verse 15, it says that he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, this doesn't mean that in some way he was created by God and so is not eternal, as Jehovah's Witnesses might claim. But Paul means this in the sense that he's prior to all creation. He's the one who's at the head of creation. He's before all things, as it says in verse 17. Because uh, Paul goes on very quickly to say in verse 16, the next verse, that by him all things were created. So he's before all things and they were all created uh, by him. Everything in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, everything that has been created was created by Jesus. And then not only did he create all things, he sustains them all in him. Everything holds together. If you remove Jesus from the universe, quite literally it would uh, explode or maybe implode. I'm not quite sure on the science. But he, he's at the center of everything. In him, everything holds together. The only reason that we're still here, that the universe is still here, is because Jesus, in his love, is sustaining all things. And there's one of the great quests in uh, science, in physics, is this, the so-called unifying theory of everything. A formula that holds together Einstein and Newton and quantum mechanics and all those other branches of physics that I can't pretend to understand. So that unifying theory of everything, it's a, it's a thing that physicists are searching for. But we have the answer here, at least the theological answer in our passage. The answer to the unifying theory of everything is Jesus at the center of the universe, the one who holds everything together in his love. And there's, there's a sense of uh, this. And if you look at the picture on the screen, uh, I don't know if any of you recognize that. But that's a picture of a galaxy. That's a picture of the Whirlpool galaxy. Now, that is 31 million light years away. 31 million light years away, captured in 2005 uh, by the Hubble telescope. And look what is right in the center of that galaxy. You see a cross. So quite literally, Jesus is at the center of the universe, holding all things together. And lastly, 
the sense that all things are created for him, not just by him and through him and not just holding everything together, but he is the end of all things. He's the goal of creation. Creation is the gift of the Father to the Son. And it will one day be all summed up in him. The end game of history, where everything is heading, is that all things will come together under Jesus. All things in heaven and on earth. And he'll fill everything in every way. So Paul is saying, or the Colossians are saying, that this is the one that we worship. The one who's before creation. The one who created everything. The one who sustains all things. And the one who is the very goal of human history. And there's a a story told of Michelangelo, once asked by his most famous pupil, Raphael, uh, to comment on a portrait that he was painting, a portrait of Jesus. And uh, when Raphael went out to lunch, uh, Michelangelo stopped by his studio and had a look at the picture and pondered it for a while. And then he took a big brush to it and he wrote uh, over this portrait of Jesus that Raphael had been painting. He wrote the Latin word, Amplius, Amplius. And by this, he meant that Raphael must make Jesus larger, bolder, more prominent, outstanding. Because Raphael's Jesus was too small. And I wonder if it's the same for us sometimes. Do we have a Sunday school picture of Jesus? Gentle Jesus, baby Jesus, meek and mild. Or do we have a picture of that cosmic Christ that's talked about in Colossians, the one who fills the universe in every way? And then secondly, and much uh, more briefly, in terms of Jesus sharing God's life and his love with us, he does that in salvation, not just in creation, but God shares who he is and what he is and what he's all about, the very heart of who he is with us uh, through Jesus in salvation. Because on the cross, we see deeper than ever into the very being of God. We see truly what he's like. Without the cross, we can never truly know what it means to say that God is love. It's here that Jesus shares God's love and his life with us. And he does this by giving his own life away. On the cross, Jesus paid the price. He stood in our place. He suffered the punishment that we Deserve, and he took it all to the cross. But just as Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, according to Paul here, he's also the firstborn from among the dead. He rose from the grave, showing that death is not the end, that death couldn't hold on to the Son of God, and therefore all who follow him receive new life. Jesus is not just the beginning of creation, he's the beginning of the new creation. In verse 18, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And then, in case, again, we're in danger of uh, our Jesus being too small, Paul reminds us in verse 20 that he didn't just come to reconcile uh, us as individuals to God through Jesus, or even us as the church to God through Jesus. He came to reconcile the whole of creation to himself whether things on earth, things in heaven, through shedding his blood, giving his very life on the cross. Because on the cross, the cross is the place 
where God says yes. Where God says yes to me and God says yes to you. Where God says yes to the church and where God says yes to the whole of creation. So Colossians this morning gives us that cosmic vista of Jesus. It gives us a picture of the one we worship. The one who reveals the very heart of God. The one who fully reveals what God is like to us, his father heart. The one who shares the love and the life of God in creation. And the one who shares his own life, giving his life to death on the cross. Showing the very depths of the love of God so that we can live our lives to the full. So why don't we this morning fill our vision with Jesus. Expand our vision. Let's keep him right at the focus of our worship. And as we come to communion, let's allow him to share his love and his life with us. Let's allow ourselves to receive the love and the life of God in Jesus, the one who always loves to give and the one who never tires of doing so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing picture of who you are, of why you've come. Lord, we thank you that you are supreme over all creation. We thank you that if we want to know what God is like, we look at you and we see right to the very heart of the Trinity. And we thank you that you loved us. You showed the love of God so much that you gave your life for each one of us so that we don't have to die, so that we can know God and we can receive new life in Christ. Amen.